Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Thank you very much. <clears throat> so about uh, Isaiah and Zion again, when when I first was, was thinking about and praying about where we were going to go next, and I just saw this big thing, Isaiah, in front of me, and I didn't know, how, it, was, it was like uh, a, a big elephant, and I don't even know where to start to, to describe it. Uh, I am so grateful that he has unfolded Zion for us, because I didn't know really that we were going to get into Zion. I just saw Isaiah, and I didn't even know where to start. And that's, what, that's how it started, um, the study. All right. We are going to get into Isaiah 55, uh, but there's a number of uh, topics that I want to address first uh, that I've seen from uh, different emails and different comments and some things also in prayer uh, that I want to address first. So first of all, priestly worship. There's, there's a number of ways to enter in. And for, for, for me, uh, what I typically do is I do a combination of, 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 of methods, and I'd say methods or approaches, and I'm looking for God's presence. So one way is worship and music and singing and listening. Uh, so that's one, that's one way. Uh, a second way is to read the word. Often entering in for me will be through the Psalms uh, because the Psalms is so rich in seeking the heart of God. Uh, a third way, of course, is in prayer. A fourth way is speaking in tongues. And a fifth way is stilling my mind and just meditating on him. So these five different ways, what I'll do is I'll go in and out I may start off in worship. I may start off in reading. I, I may go into prayer. I may just still and meditate. And what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm looking for where his presence is. Sometimes his presence is in the meditation. Sometimes the presence is in the prayer. Sometimes it's in reading. Sometimes it's in worship. Sometimes it's in speaking in tongues, and then that comes forth. So what I'm doing is I'm looking for where his presence is. And over the years, uh, when, when I was trying to do uh, worship and, and search for his presence in my own effort, I would worship and maybe get nothing. I would pray and be dry. I would read and be dry. And what I've, I've learned to do is it's okay to read, get nothing, move on to worship. Get nothing, move on to meditation. And wherever his presence is, then all of a sudden there's an unlocking. And then I might flow back into other places. So I don't, I don't necessarily just read anymore or just pray anymore. I kind of flow in and out of all of those things all at once because the only thing that my desire is is to search after where his presence and, and where his presence is, that's where the anointing is. And that's where revelation comes from. So real, real important to think through that. Uh, for example, Let's turn to Psalm 99. 
and and I was I was with a couple people uh, sharing this. So I wanted to share this, uh, I think last weekend. So I want to share this with, with you all. I'm, I may start off, and, and again, the Psalms are just rich in, in how to seek and find his presence. So Psalm 99 starts off by says, Yahuwah reigns. Let the people tremble. He sits between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. I might stay now and meditate on that verse. And put myself in the place where he manifests on the earth, that the earth literally trembles and is moved. And the people are trembling at his presence. We don't experience that on the earth right now. It happened at Mount Sinai. It happened when his presence was over the ark and going into battle. But he's going to do that again. It happened at the cross when the earth shook and the heavens became dark. So I put myself in that place and I start to ask, Father, is this your will upon the earth? You declared it in your word. Help me align with that to bring that manifest onto the earth. So I don't necessarily necessarily just read that verse. I place myself into it. So it's a different type of thought process. Yah, verse 2, Yahweh is great in Zion. So here we go, relating to Zion. He is high above all the people. So there's Zion on earth, on, on in heaven, Zion and earth. Now I'm placing myself in Zion in the heavens. He's high above that. He's high above even us in the spirit in the heavens. Let us praise your great and terrible or trembling majestic name, for it is holy. And now I start to meditate on his name. And that his name is holy. And just now I'm thinking about his name by itself is holy. He is holy. His throne is holy. His glory is holy. His name itself is holy. And what does holy mean? It means set apart, completely different than everything else. It means sanctified. It means an anointed manner different than everything else. It's set aside. It's clean compared to unclean. It's to be used in the potter's hand rather than not it's something that's worthy to something so everything is completely different about his name his name is above all names whether it's todd or robert or tony or allison his name carries weight now we can say his name and there's no weight to it but when it's done in a manner where it's activating his true nature and character with faith. Now all of a sudden, his name carries weight. In the name of Yeshua, you will be healed. So very different on how to, to read and how I go through things. Um, verse four, uh, the king's strength also loves judgment. You do establish equity or justice. You execute judgment and righteousness in Jacob. 
immediately what comes to mind is uh, Dan is going through a series on uh, being angry for justice and the pillars of his throne are justice and judgment and justice is also the same word as righteousness or righteousness and judgment. So when I start to think about verse four, I'm thinking about he establishes his throne into the earth. Because his throne is justice and judgment. And if justice and judgment are his and they then appear into the earth, now all of a sudden that means the pillars of his throne show up. And no wonder that the earth is moved and the people tremble. So at Mount Sinai, all of a sudden, his throne comes rocking down and justice and judgment are present. So that's kind of how I just kind of go in and out. And I might just stop and meditate on some of those things. And then I'll back up and I'll worship and I'll praise him. And you know, all of a sudden, boom, there's a breakthrough. Boom, there's another breakthrough. Boom, there's revelation. So that, that's that was kind of some thoughts I wanted to share with you. Um, this also. What compels people to press in? How are, why are we drawn? Why, why were we drawn? Why are we continuing to be drawn? Why are other people not drawn? And I really think it's as simple as Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Yah. <clears throat> and it's not just the word, written word. It is the rhema word who is Yeshua. He is the word. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by Yah or Yeshua's voice. If you can lock into his voice, Faith increases, and then you press in. That's why the enemy is a master deceiver at voices. Music, noise, media, entertainment. Our own voices, other people's voices. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by Yeshua the word or his voice. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. I was meditating on this. So why, why some people press in, but most people don't. Even in the body of Messiah, there, there are people that just don't press in. They're, they're kind of okay being wherever they're at. And this is not a time for being okay, that's for sure. So Exodus chapter 20. So Israel is delivered from Egypt. They're brought to Mount Sinai to worship him in the wilderness, to receive the Ten Commandments, and to be wed. They are going to be married to Yahuwah. And in Exodus 20, let's start in verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke because Yahuwah descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. Now, there's a lot in there, but I'm not going to go into that. I'm just going to listen. We just want to talk about the voice. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke and Elohim answered him by a voice. And Yahweh came down upon Mount Sinai on top of Mount 
on the top of the mount. And Yahweh called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And Yahweh said to Moses, go down and charge or contest or challenge the people that they don't break through unto Yahweh to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to Yahuwah, sanctify themselves, lest Yahuwah breaks forth upon them. Verse 23. There's, some, there's a whole bunch there that we're not going to get into either today. And Moses said unto Yahuwah, the people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai. They, you charged us, you contended with us, saying, set bounds upon the Mount. Now listen to this. I'm reading 19. That's right. Is everybody confused? Yeah. Okay. My wife is in. Yes. So I'm reading that. No wonder. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm about to go on another tangent. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. <laughs> Exodus 20, verse 18. And all the people saw, because that's the, Exodus 19 is the leading the 20. So it made sense to me. I knew where I was going. Exodus 20, verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings. And the noise of the trumpet, which I was reading the Exodus 19, <laughs> and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar. And they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear, but let not Elohim speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, fear not, for Elohim has come to contest or to prove you to bring you forth, to challenge you, that his fear might be for your faces that you sin not. And the people stood afar and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where Elohim was. So the people were challenged by Yahweh's voice. Moses drew near, the people backed away. It was his voice. Moses had already heard the voice of Yah in the burning bush. And he was drawn to it more and more and more. The people did not want to hear his voice. If they would have heard his voice and drawn near, they would have gained in faith. But instead, they turned their back. So why do some people press in? I, I think like the root of it is not hearing his voice because through his voice is Yeshua. Through his voice is faith. That's why going back to entering into his presence, it's so important to get that place where his presence is. You press in, you find the burning bush, you find where he is in the darkness. And the darkness is he's covering himself in the manifest presence to hear his voice because in by hearing his voice, whether it's in worship or whether it's in prayer or meditation or in speaking in tongues, now all of a sudden it builds up faith. And revelation comes. We think that our lives and choices are, are complex at times. They're, they're very gray. There, there's no right and wrong. There's ah, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's all kind of mixed together. Um, that's true in a way. And it's not true in a way. It actually becomes very muddled when we listen to other voices and it becomes confusion 
And now all of a sudden, there's not a clear choice. Turn to Daniel chapter 9. This time I'm going to try to get the right chapter. Daniel chapter 9. And, and this is also, I, I think, just really pertinent for everything that's going on right now in the world. <laughs> Daniel chapter 9. Starting in verse 7. So Daniel is pleading for his people. He's in Babylon. He knows the promises of God to take them back into the land, but they're under captivity, and he is pleading with Yah on behalf of his people. So Daniel chapter 9, verse 7. Oh, Adonai, righteousness belongs to you, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all of Israel that are near and far off. So he just included now. Israel, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He'll include the whole thing. And Jerusalem itself, because Jerusalem is disconnected from Zion. All that are near, meaning around in the land, and all those that are been scattered far off. Through all the countries where you have driven them because of their transgressions, they have transgressed against you. Verse 8. O Adonai, to us belongs confusion of faith. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. So because they have transgressed against Yah, now all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but over the course of time, more and more confusion is, and everything is just a mess, and they can't see anything. And Yahweh is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So if we go back to the heart of the word, if we hear his voice, it's very clear. Choose life or death. There's nothing in between. Choose who you're going to serve. Yahuwah or anything else. There's nothing in between. There's no coexisting. No, it's Yahuwah or someone else. Choose which kingdom you're going to dwell in. The kingdom of this world or the kingdom of heaven. Choose, now back to Zion, choose where you're going to dwell in your spirit, the city of Babylon or the city of Zion. There's no in-between. If we hear his voice, it's very clear. If there's confusion, oh, spirit of counsel, what is right? Because the spirit is the spirit of truth. And truth is consistent. Truth does not change. So I wanted to share that. Um, more thoughts on Solomon. We talked about Solomon tied to Babylon actually manifesting into Jerusalem instead of Zion manifesting in Jerusalem last time. And yep, Solomon really messed up. And some of the, uh, the language in the Bible actually indicates that Solomon was an archetype of the Antichrist in some ways. So here are some examples. Start off in Deuteronomy chapter 17. We're talking about Solomon in Deuteronomy way before he's born. Yep, 
You'll see this. Deuteronomy 17. And Moses is giving a warning. He's giving a warning to Israel about someone specific. And it's the only warning that I know about someone specific that, that Moses is giving them before they go into the land. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. And think, Solomon, listen to this. Deuteronomy 17, 14. When you are come into the land, which Yahweh your Elohim gives you, and you shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Now think about this. They haven't even gotten into the land yet. When they get into the land, Joshua then helps conquer their enemies. So they establish a place to live in the land. Then we have the book of Judges. So there's deliverers that keep being raised up every time they need it. And this is over hundreds of years. Then they eventually get Samuel as the last judge. And then comes the prophetic word that Moses just spoke. You're going to, at some point in time, ask for a king. This is hundreds of years in the future. Verse 15. You shall in any wise set him king over you, whom Yahweh your Elohim shall choose. Out from amongst your brethren shall you set a king over you, that you may not set a stranger over you, which is not your brother. He's saying this is going to come from within Israel. Now look at verse 16. This is the warning about a future king. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses for as much as Yahweh said unto you, you shall henceforth return no more that way. Now think about this. What did Solomon do? He increased in horses, a lot of horses. Horses were helpful for the military. Horses were modes of transportation. What God is saying is, do not let this future king multiply horses. Also, do not let him cause you to return to Egypt. And over the course of time, they started to make treaties with Egypt. In fact, what did Solomon do? He made them a treaty with Egypt for the first time after the judges. He went down to Egypt and made a treaty. Verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself. That why? that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. This is like Solomon all over the place. And it shall be when he sits upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write a copy of this law in a book out of that which before the priests, the Levites. So God is giving Moses the words of what he should do and what he should not do. And it shall be with, verse 19, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear Yahuwah his Elohim, to keep all of the words of this Torah, and the statutes to do them. This king was supposed to operate in the fear of Yahuwah, and have Yahuwah's Torah, his instructions, before him always. Verse 20, we'll, we'll stop with verse 20. 
that his heart should not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he should turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may, to the end, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. And of course, it was Solomon that did not prolong the days of his life in the kingdom. It was Solomon that had the kingdom split. But this was a warning way in advance. Now look at 1 Kings chapter 10. First Kings chapter 10, verse 14. This goes back to our comments about the city of Zion being birthed in Jerusalem. It goes back to our comments that Freemasonry tied to the building of the temple that Solomon did, tying back to Egypt, tying back to the, the nature, the city of Babylon, back to Babel. I mean, all of this stuff ties together, and this is where the, the Freemasonry comes through. And the Kabbalah is tied in. So 1 Kings 10, 14. Now, the weight of the gold that came to Solomon. Now, keep remember, he's not supposed to multiply gold and silver. The weight that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Next verse. Beside that, he had merchant men and of the traffic of spice merchants and of all the kings of Arabia and of the governors or captains of the country. He was a trafficker. He was a merchandiser. Now, I'm a businessman. That's not what what God is getting at. He is highlighting something else. And we've talked about that in the past that there is this exchange and a currency that Yeshua had to pay for because we sold ourselves for nothing. And Solomon was above everybody else. He placed himself above all the nations, all the kings and princes of the world. Uh, this was 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Turn to Ecclesiastes. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Now keep in mind, Moses also said he is supposed to keep the fear of Yahuwah before his face. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 9. These are the last words of Solomon. Now keep in mind, Solomon wrote a couple psalms. He wrote the book of Proverbs, he wrote the Song of Solomon, and he wrote Ecclesiastes. So, Todd, what, is, this, is this really the word of God that Solomon wrote, considering all these things? Yeah, we're going to get to that. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher himself was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many Proverbs. The preacher sought out to find acceptable or words of delight. Doesn't that sound like words that tickle your ears? And that was written, that was upright, even words of truth. 
So he was trying to come up with words of delight for the people, knowledge. And we've talked about knowledge, understanding, wisdom. Knowledge is just information coming at you. When you go into a seminary, when you go in, into research into a library, you're gaining knowledge. You can recite back knowledge. But understanding is then taking the knowledge and applying it. You actually understand the knowledge enough where when a situation comes, you can immediately take that knowledge and apply it. People that have knowledge and don't have common sense, that means they don't have understanding because they can't apply it. And then there's another level, that's wisdom. Wisdom is applying your understanding of the knowledge, right place, right time, right person. Even though I might understand and have revelation from Yah, I am not necessarily going to take it and cast pearls before swine if it is not going to be received at the right time by the right person. That's wisdom. So Solomon delighted in knowledge, data. It showed off his intellect. Verse 11, Ecclesiastes 12, 11. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. So he's saying, this is real important. This shows how important it is for these people to have great knowledge. If I give them knowledge, I'm like a pillar. This to me sounds like Galatians, Galatians type of language, where Paul is saying, and someone, Peter, James, and John, calls them out, who seemed to be pillars. Solomon seemed to be a pillar. Verse 12. And further, by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end. And much study is weariness of the flesh. These are the last verses that we're approaching in Solomon's life. And he's basically saying, I loved seeking knowledge. I loved giving knowledge. It made me feel like a pillar. But son, listen to me. Knowledge is endless and it will wear you out. You can seek and seek and seek and never be satisfied. So now he comes to the conclusion, not only of the matter and Ecclesiastes, but his whole life. Verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear Elohim, all the way back to Deuteronomy. Oh, that my fear would be before them. Fear Elohim and keep his commandments. That's also what Moses said is he needs to have his commandments ever before him. That's not what Solomon did. For this is the whole duty of man. For Elohim shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or bad. And Solomon realized his whole life was in the process of about to be judged. So I share this because we need to readjust kind of our mindsets with Solomon. And yeah, it's not just really clear 
was Solomon good or bad, he was going through transition like we are. If, if someone took a snapshot of your life before today, yesterday, 10 years ago, whenever it was, but ugh, <laughs> I don't want that snapshot. Um, that's not who I am. And then also think about this. Five years from now, if we had a snapshot of today, we'd probably be, ugh, I'm so glad God did not leave me where I was. So that's kind of what we see in Solomon's case as we see snapshots of it. But the end, he got to the right place. So a couple questions about Solomon. What about the book of Proverbs? Is it good or bad? We can flow in and out of this spirit. And sometimes it's a mixture. Prophetically, you need to really be careful of who prays for you, who prays over you, who you listen to. Get back to voice. Because even though that might be a mature prophetic believer, you are still responsible for listening if that is a holy stream. It can be mixed. You got to be really careful. Because most, op- and, and meditating on, on people in general, because this, this, we're going to get to this in Isaiah 55, people in general, most people operate with a combination. I'm not talking about you guys. Most people in the earth operate in a combination of their flesh and an unredeemed soul. So this is where they are operating from, and this is how they declare things, from an unredeemed soul and from their flesh. Most believers, again, I'm not talking about you guys, most believers that would say that they are in church and they're in the body of Christ and they have their their sunroofs open just in case Yeshua calls them up and the next step is for them to go through the sunroof and be part of the, the gathering, which is not true. But those kind of folks, they're operating in a combination of a partially redeemed soul and a little bit of spirit. So they got a whole bunch of components of their soul that's not redeemed and, and not under the direction of the spirit. And they're operating that way. And they might be declaring things. They're a voice maybe into you. Mature believers operate with a combination of their spirits and through a redeemed, submitted soul. And that's why we talked a little bit about uh, in the past about mixtures. We need to be operating more and more in holiness and in a clean, clean, clean flow. The, the, the spirit of wisdom moved through Solomon. Totally clear in Proverbs 8. Spirit of wisdom comes forth and speaks. But he was operating in some other stuff as well. God doesn't hide the bad things that people do in the scriptures. He reveals that to us because that's what we go through, and we need to learn from both good and bad. Uh, why was God pleased? It says he was kind of pleased in King James when he asked for discernment to govern his people. And, and I want to sh- share, share this with you. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. I just want to spend some time to kind of clear up Solomon a little bit because there's a lot more to Solomon. He, he wasn't, it wasn't just simple. He was a good guy. He was a bad guy. He was on a journey just like the rest of us. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, 
this is one of the most touching verses, uh, passages of scripture to me. Still is. It goes back to what we read in Exodus 20. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 27, and it's talking about when Yahweh descended on Mount Sinai with all the people. And he said to Moses, uh, go you near and hear all that Yahweh, your Elohim, shall say, and speak uh, you, oh, this is the people speaking, and speak you unto us that Yahuwah, our Elohim, shall speak unto you, and we will hear it and do it. It means the people are saying, Moses, you go near to God, and then whatever he tells you, you tell us, and then we'll do it. And Yahuwah heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. He's speaking to the people. And Yahuwah said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which have been spoken unto you. They have said well. They have said correctly all that they have spoken. Now, wait a minute. He, Yahuwah, descended on Mount Sinai, delivered them in, from Egypt, brought them to that location so that he could speak to all of them because they were supposed to be a kingdom of priests. They then say, <clears throat> that's too scary. He's too scary. We don't want that. Moses, you go near. We're running away. And then now God says, they spoke well. What? It's kind of the same thing that happened to Solomon. Solomon, because you said discernment, I'm, I'm okay with that. Verse 29. Listen to this. This is the heart. This is the heart of the Father. Oh, that there was such a heart in them, Israel, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments. Very similar to what the the admonition toward the future king would be too, that it might be well with them and with their children. Go say to them, get you into the tents again. But as for you, Moses, you stand here by me. God's heart broke for Israel because they rejected his voice. I think God's heart broke because he knew it would lead to destruction of Solomon by asking for discernment. A better response would have been commandment number one. Yahweh speaking to Solomon, Solomon, what do you want? Oh, that I may love you all the days of my life with all of my soul, all of my heart, and all of my strength. Don't you think that would have gone much better? Now back to Zion. <clears throat> um, I want to, sh to give you guys two passages to, to do homework on yourself if you want to. Um, Ezekiel 16, Zechariah 2. Because I was already long-winded on this, and I want to get into Isaiah 55, go check this out. Ezekiel 16, Zechariah 2. It's all about Zion. It's really interesting. Um, I want to type, let me show you a couple passages from Ezekiel 16. I think that's, that's important. Ezekiel 16. Zion is everywhere now that we see it. Ezekiel 16 is all about speaking to Jerusalem. 
So Ezekiel 16, verse 2. Son of man, he's talking to Ezekiel, cause Jerusalem to know her admonitions. So Ezekiel, you need to make sure that Jerusalem and everyone in Jerusalem understands what the issue is. That's what he's saying to Ezekiel. Now, jump ahead. Jump ahead to verse 45. Ezekiel 16, 45. Because we talked a lot about Zion being barren and Jerusalem having kids and Judah having daughters and Babylon also having children. So keep in mind, Ezekiel chapter 16, he's talking to Jerusalem. Verse 45, you are your mother's daughter. that loathes her husband and her children. Talking about Jerusalem. You are the sister of your sisters, which loathes their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite. Your father was an Amorite. You were birthed out of Canaan. Your elder sister is Samaria. Now, Samaria was the capital city of the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, and that's where one of the local, that was their capital, but that's also one of the high places that Solomon, Solomon's son Jeroboam set up. And this was an abomination, a high place meaning an altar, uh, a false temple. So your sister, your elder sister is Samaria. She and, talk about Jerusalem still, she and her daughters that dwell at your left hand, and your younger sister that dwells at your right hand is Sodom and her daughters. So spiritually, that's why in scripture you'll read that Jerusalem is spiritually Sodom because it was birthed the same place, the city of Babylon. So you got the city of Babylon birthing Jerusalem, birthing Samaria, birthing Sodom. And then they have children other cities that are being manifest from the spirit onto the earth. 47, yet you have not walked after their ways nor done after their abominations. So you, you haven't been like Samaria and Sodom. <laughs> Listen to this. But it's a very little thing. You were corrupted more than them in their ways. I'm reading from Ezekiel 16. Uh, I'm in verse 47. So I started in verse 45. Ezekiel 16, 45. I just read 47. Now 48. As I live, says Yahuwah Elohim, Sodom, your sister, has not done. She nor her daughters, as you have done, you and your daughters. He's saying, Jerusalem, with the city of Babylon birthed in you, you're worse than Sodom. Verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw. Now, wait a minute. Sodom is the sister of Jerusalem. And he's speaking in Ezekiel 16, which is during the time of Babylonian captivity. Sodom was destroyed 
before Jerusalem had a chance to be birthed, Zion had a chance to be birthed in Jerusalem, which means it was already in, already a sister of Sodom. It was part of the city of Babylon. And that's why he describes it. Your mother was a Hittite. Your father was an Amorite. And I was going to redo all of it. And it talks about that earlier in Ezekiel 16. Clean you up and then birth Zion in you. But it never happened. So it's a fascinating passage. Zechariah is the same thing. So it, the scripture interpreting scripture. Isaiah 55. We finally get to Isaiah 55 an hour in. But I think it was important to just kind of pull back, talk about praise, worship, reset ourselves on Solomon, because I, I know I beat up Solomon quite a bit two weeks ago. <clears throat> Isaiah 55. We have discussed with Zion many, many things. We've discussed uh, Israel being scattered um, that was also part of the whole Zion message that we've read in Isaiah. The heavens and the earth being redeemed. Zion crying out. I mean, that was a moving passage that the heavens and the earth are re rejoicing and redeemed. And Zion's like, what about me? So Zion crying out. Uh, the redemption plan for Zion. Satan trafficking Zion's kids. Yeshua buying us back without money. And last time there was a differentiation between the city of Zion and the city of Babylon and how it got manifested, the city of Babylon got manifested into Jerusalem. At the very end, we sent out the destroyer to go forth and to give birth. And that was a passage that totally messed up in the translation where it talks about, and the waster will go out to destroy because the translators were either very confused or they were trying to hide who the destroyer was. The destroyer goes forth to give birth, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a destroyer to give birth, but that's because he's birthing Zion. Today, we're going to talk about the people groups that are being birthed and set free. So it's all one message. We, turn, we go from Isaiah 54, now to Isaiah 55. Here we go. Verse 1. Ho, <laughs> love the King James. Ho, that's like pause. Check this out. You, you hear people in uh, media or in communications do things like this. Listen, they're, they're trying to get your attention. Ho, ho, everyone that thirsts, come you to the waters. And he that has no money, Come, you, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. I'm just judging on time. So there's a lot here, actually. <clears throat> there is an understanding that we need to, to have between mountains and wine. God, where did you get mountains and wine? Come by wine and milk. And when you study wine in the scriptures, it's very closely tied to mountains. Haggai. I don't think we've done a jump to Haggai. So let's go to Haggai. 
Haggai chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 2, and then I'm going to jump. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus speaks Yahweh Sabaoth. It's battle time. Yahweh Sabaoth. Yahweh of the armies. Saying, this people say, the time has not come, the time that Yahweh's house should be built. Because remember, David wanted to build a house. Because David was seeing so much of Zion that he thought, I need to manifest this on earth. And God held him back. I think there's other reasons for that, by the way. So now Haggai's time is back to um, the time of like Ezekiel, where it's, they're under captivity. And he's saying, hold on. We're not supposed to build a temple. You guys aren't seeing it. The temple is within you. That's what Haggai's message is. But now jump ahead, Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says Yahuwah Sabaoth, consider your ways, means set your heart properly. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. This sounds very similar to Isaiah 55, 1. You clothe yourself, but there's nobody warm. And he that earns wages earns wages in a bag with holes. Thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, consider your ways. He says it a second time. Because why is all of this happening to you? That you keep sowing, 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 and you're getting no food. You keep drinking, 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 you're still thirsty. You're working, working, working with money and your pockets are still empty. And he says, it's you, it's you. Consider your ways, consider your ways. Here comes a key. Verse eight, go up to the mountain and break wood and build a house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, says Yahuwah. What? In order to sow and then to reap, in order to drink, and be satisfied in order to have money in our pockets, we need to go to the mountain? Yes. <laughs> I'll explain. You looked for much, and lo, you came a little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. So you bring in what you think is a bounty, and God just blows it and it's gone. Why, says Yahweh Sabaoth? Because my house is wasted, and you run every man into his own house. And we're not just talking about a physical temple back then. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed, is held back from the dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. He's saying that all of the blessings being made manifest from the heavens, the first heaven onto the earth, which is needed for crops, and the earth itself is not bringing bounty, is tied back to our hearts because we are not establishing the mountain of God. Verse 11, and I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon new wine and upon the oil 
and upon the ground that brings forth upon men and upon the cattle and upon the labor of your hands. So there's a whole bunch of ties here to the bounty of the earth and to mountains to our hearts. Okay, I'm going to read another one. Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9. And many of you quote Amos chapter 9 in the verse here, um, the tabernacle of David. We're going to see this in a different, different light. Amos chapter 9 verse 11. In that day, in the day when Zion is birthed, context of Isaiah, in that day, he's calling his people to come and buy without money and eat and drink without money. In that day, will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close the breaches thereof, and I will raise up its ruins and build it as in the days of old. Isaiah language, build up the waste cities and the former desolations, same language, that they may possess the remnants of Eden, Edom, Edom, and all of the heathen or the nations which are called by my name. So all of Israel scattered all over the place. He's saying at that time, you're going to possess all the nations, all the people that are called by my name. Yahuwah is going to do this. Behold, the days come, says Yahuwah, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, meaning someone is going to be reaping so much, so much harvest pulling in that they are going to be slower. They'll have more to do than the person planting the seeds. There's going to be so much harvest coming in. The treader of grapes, him that sows the seed, means there's going to be so many grapes that people will still be treading and people are going to want to plant more grapes. And we're like, no, we, we can't handle the grapes we already have. There's so much abundance of fruit. Listen, in the mount, that was a hoe. <laughs> and the mountains shall drop sweet wine and the hills shall melt. What is that about? So let's think about mountains. So I, I gave you a couple of scriptures. There's actually more on mountains and wine, mountains and wine, mountains and wine. When I think about mountains, I do not think about harvest. Mountains are high up. There's little oxygen. There's a lot of rocks. There's, it's not fertile ground in any way whatsoever. There's very little that can actually grow on a mountain. And if you're a climber and you go higher and higher and higher, there's fewer and fewer things that can actually live up there. So how can mountains be associated with wine? That doesn't make any sense. And hills, small mountains, hills, are also not really great for growing crops. How are you going to plant a cornfield, a bean field, on a hill that's going up? Hills are good, actually, for wine. So you got mountains that are supposed to be good for, for wine. You have hills that are supposed to be good for uh, being fertile, uh, but it's not flat. This doesn't make any sense. 
I think it's actually a reflection of the fallen state, the corrupt state of sin into the earth. Because mountains are supposed to be associated with wine. How is this so? Daniel's talked about mountains. Mountains are representative of authority. Mountains are also representative of the blessings of Yah. In his mountain comes forth the new wine. You don't have drink and food, so go to the mountain. Mountains also get into our way. That's why he makes all mountains and hills flat, raises up any valley, straightens out any crooked path, makes plain any rough place. Because this is in the spirit, there are literally mountains of authority and mountains that are dried up that suck all of the, the, the living water, suck all of the blessings of the food suck all the blessings that are supposed to be coming down from our storehouses in heaven. We are supposed to declare by faith that the mountains on the earth are bountiful. They're like the access point between heaven and earth. So all of our, our blessings are stored up in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians. Then we pray, and we talked about this, pray it to be manifest through the second heaven. In the second heaven, there's a battle of mountains taking place and onto the earth. So there's mountains that just absorb all of the blessings that come down from the third heaven, and we wonder why. We're supposed to declare to the mountains to live, and to manifest the blessings. Now, why wine? Because wine, and we've done this study in, when we, a while ago when we did Joel, wine, oil, corn, it all aligns with our spirit, soul, and body. Wine is for the soul. And we did a study in Peter that's the salvation of the soul. So wine is representative of, of the joy that, that it brings, not in obviously excess quantities, but it represents the joy in the, the peace and the relationship with the soul. So if we do not have wine, our souls are dry. And remember, I mentioned that we need redeemed, <clears throat> submitted souls to the spirit to be whole. So in the spirit, we need to declare and activate mountains to birth the blessings, to manifest the blessings that come from the third heaven. So we got third heaven mountains, right? Mount Zion, third heaven. There's second heaven mountains that are both good, that are activated, and are both bad, that are absorbing the blessings coming down from the second heaven. And then it's made manifest on the earth. So why do so many people struggle with these blessings? They work, 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 and their pockets have holes in them. They eat, 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 but they're not satisfied. It's because there's mountains that look like the mountains in the earth right now that are just filled with rocks and they just absorb all the moisture. They block the dew from heaven coming down onto the earth. They have no soil. So when the, you can seed, 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 seed on a mountain and nothing comes forth. 
it's a sign of sin into the earth. So when Yeshua returns and the earth is redone and Zion is birthed, it says that the mountains and the hills will be moved and reassembled. And I believe the mountains will then be fertile for wine and the hills will be fertile for all crops because that's the way it's supposed to be. So this whole thing about mountains, wine, and milk are all tied together. We need to declare in the spirit the dissolving of mountains and hills against us that absorb all the blessings coming down from the third heaven that we're fighting for. And we need to breathe life into the mountains that can manifest into the earth the blessings in the third heaven. So mountains are authority. Mountains are also a place for blessing. It's tied to spiritual blessing as well. That's why Yeshua would go into the mountain and pray and receive the spiritual blessing because that mountain would then manifest. That's why Yahweh showed up on Mount Sinai. He made manifest his presence onto the earth through the mountain. Back to Isaiah 55. Start praying that. Pray for mountains that are around you. Pray for your mountain to bring forth the blessings that are stored for you in the heavenly places. You're going to start seeing a shift, a shift. Uh, Oh, Yeshua spoke to the fig tree. First it, it withered. Then immediately after, in Matthew 21, he says, well, if you had faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you'd speak to this mountain and it would be removed into the sea. Fig tree, mountain, what was he talking about? He was speaking to the fig tree that was representative of the corrupted house of Judah and the corrupted Pharisees and Fig um, and Beth Page, which represents um, house of excuses. And that actually is Fig. So Fig is representing excuses, was blocking Israel, blocking Judah from hearing the word of God. So he cursed it so that he could give it to another. And he's speaking in the same context of this mountain is blocking your blessings. So if you actually had faith, you would remove that mountain and you would call down Mount Zion and manifest the blessings. It all ties together. Um, Wow. First two. Wherefore, do you spend money for that which is not bread, your labor which doesn't satisfy? Hearken diligently to me. Voice. That's why I spent time on voice. Here's the key to get all of this right. Start off with my voice. And eat that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in the fatness. The soul is back to the wine, back to the mountains. That's why we're dry. Kind of reminds me a little bit (laughs) of tithing as well. You want to have your mountain dry up so it doesn't manifest? Don't tithe. Why? Because God is a river. And rivers that get stagnant, eh, you have disease, you have bacteria. You need to flow. So you keep your hands open, so acknowledging that everything is yours, all the fullness there is. Therefore, I'm going to give you what you already gave me to acknowledge that it's you and to keep the flow going. 
heavenly mountain, to second heaven mountain into the earth. Don't keep your hands clenched. Um, verse 3, incline your ear. Here's the voice again. Come to me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. I can't emphasize this enough. Find the place where you can hear. Worship, prayer, study, meditation, speaking in tongues. Here, 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 here. Find that place. Real, real important. Um, sure mercies of David. Paul and Peter talk about this in Acts chapter 13 about the sure mercies of David. I'm going to skip that just for the sake of time. I'm going to skip that just for the sake of time. Verse 4 and 5. Behold, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander of the people. So as the sure mercies of David, there's that, the scriptures actually go into a place where it's David, speaking about David and it's speaking about Yeshua at the same time. It's layers. In fact, I'm going to give you guys a couple of passages. I'm going to put this in the text. I'm going to say it out loud. A couple passages. And again, just for the sake of time, because I talk too much and I had too much studying. Second Samuel, Psalm 89. It describes David, but then it also describes Yeshua. And they're layered together. And occasionally they separate it out. Those passages, 2 Samuel and Psalm 89. So when he talks about the sure mercies of David, he's talking about the promises that were given through David of Yeshua. That in him is always yes and amen. And he's saying, behold, I've given Yeshua as a leader and a commander of the people. When we say Yahweh Sabot, he's the commander of the armies. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. <laughs> you sh what did Yeshua t t tell, tell the, the house of Judah? Oh, I got other sheep that you don't know. I got another flock. I'm going to call forth this people group you do not know. When, when we see in the last days what the house of Israel looks like, all of us, are going to be surprised. We're going to say, mm, that's not what I was expecting. It's a group that's been scattered, and he's saying, behold, there's actually a nation that's going to call upon my na nation, meaning a people group all over the place that I'm going to bring together. It's Joseph's multicolored coat that, wow, this is not what I was expecting to be the remnant. We have to be ready for this. There's going to be people that look different, act different. They're aggressive. They're gentle. They're manifesting all the character traits of Yah. And he's saying, behold, get ready. This is going to look really different. Um, Zechariah chapter 8. Let's go here. I'm seeing I'm seeing so much of Zion now all over the place that all the prophets were speaking about this nonstop. Zechariah chapter eight, verse two. 
Thus says Yahweh Sabot, leader and commander. Back to Isaiah 55, 5. Zechariah 8, verse 2. That says Yahweh Sabot, I was Ka'ana, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy. And I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus says Yahuwah, I returned unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. And the mountain of Yahuwah Saboth, the holy mountain. So in Zach- the whole chapter of Zechariah is on this theme. So this is what Yahweh was saying. I was jealous that Zion would be birthed unto the earth, and she was rejected by Jerusalem. Therefore, I returned back into heaven. And then there's going to be a day that I'm going to dwell back in Jerusalem when Zion is birthed in Jerusalem. And all of Zechariah 8 describes that. Amazing. Great parallel. Back to Isaiah 55. Now he's going to talk about the people groups in detail. These are the people groups that are hungry and thirsty. He describes the nature and the character traits of what the situation is. Now he's going to describe the heart of the people groups that are going to come back to Zion because the destroyer went forth to release them from Babylon. Like I said, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be expected. Verse 6. Seek you, Yahuwah, while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. Listen to this, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the man of iniquity or unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to Yahuwah and he will have mercy upon him and to our Elohim for he will abundantly pardon. That's the group that Yahuwah is pulling from. So let's talk about those two people groups, the wicked and the unrighteous, according to Isaiah, or King, the King James. Wicked, Hebrews 7563, Rasha. That's where wicked comes from, 7563. It means morally wrong, ungodly. It comes from the root word of to disturb, to violate, to make trouble, to vex, to do wickedness. Primarily, this is, comes right, right out of the, the, the strongest concordance. It is uh, stirring up turbulence, restlessness, poor regulation in that the wicked live and perpetually agitate they um, perpetually agitate others. People with this characteristic are guilty of violating the social rights of others 
through oppression, greed, exploitation, murder, dishonesty, and twisting of justice. And back to Dan's topic. This is the group of people that he's saying, draw near and repent while you can. They're going to be part of Joseph's multicolored coat. The unrighteous is not much better. Hebrews, um, are the, in Hebrew, from Strong's 205, aven, aven. That means nothingness, vanity, attached to an idol, mischief, unjust. It primarily emphasizes the trouble that moves to wickedness and results in idolatry. So you got people that are truly wicked, that are tied to idols, they're being called to repent. And then you got the people that are operating in the spirit of confusion that are agitating everybody else. They're called to repent. So when Molly mentioned in the beginning that uh, she saw people praising God in the middle of the street, and then all around us, God is birthing out of this mess people that will repent. And the people that are going to repent are not necessarily people that we like Jonah. I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I knew you were merciful. I knew they'd repent. That's why I didn't want to go. <laughs> we're going to see people come into the body that are on fire for Christ that they were wicked and unrighteous. We got to get ready for this. Now, the first mention of these phrases comes from Exodus 34 and pardoning. Exodus 34. God is so awesome in how he ties this together. Exodus 34. Golden calf just took place. God said, I'm done with them. Moses, I'm going to restart with you. Exodus 34, verse 9. Moses is interceding for the people of Israel. And he said, Moses said to Yah, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Adonai, let my Adonai, I pray you, go amongst the people, for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Isaiah is using that same word pardon to say, Yahuwah, pardon the wicked. Pardon the ones that are confused. Pardon the ones that are striving against us. Pardon the evil ones that are tied to idols. Be merciful upon them because they're your people. They're the ones that did the golden calf incident and been, been put astray and scattered. I want to keep going because this is going to tie now into the rest of Isaiah 55. We take these verses out of context all the time, but here's the context of it. Based on that, verse 8, Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways by ways, says Yah. <laughs> That's the context. You would go redeem your family members, 
but I'm going to redeem the lost and the confused and the wicked. (laughs) You would say, I'm going to declare the word unto them and they need to be healed now. And my ways are I'm going to use you over the course of 25 years and they're going to keep vexing you over and over again. And that's how I'm going to get them to repent. My ways are not your ways. This is a salvation prayer that we pray. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. This is a Zion calling her children prayer. That's what this is. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, the snow, remember we we read about how the, the rain, the dew can be stopped from heaven and it's because of our heart condition and we need to go to the mountain and fix it. We're the ones blocking Yahweh's flow through us. We're the ones blocking Yahweh's flow into the earth. It took 12 to turn the world upside down. We got more than 12 in this Bible study to turn the world upside down. We got more, we got more remnant in, in overall bride movement to turn the world upside down. If we would get our hearts right and say, okay, we embrace the unrighteous and the wicked people around us only if they would repent. And I'm not talking about the people that don't repent. This is a cry out for the people to repent, and they, hear, and they do that by hearing his voice. And where does his voice come from? Our mouths. So I was meditating on this a little bit, um, examining my own heart. And this hit me. When Moses asked Yahuwah at the burning bush, who am I going to say to Israel who you are? Who sent me? And Yahweh didn't say his name Yahweh at that time. He said, I am. I exist is what it means. I exist. Which means Yahweh is always present. It's not just that he was and he will be. That's true. He is. He always is. If he's outside of time, he always is. For our sakes, he describes himself that he was he is, and he is to come. But from his perspective, he always is. So I'm meditating on this, and this is what happens. <laughs> this is what happened to me. <laughs> I shared this with a few people. Yahuwah, because he is so massive in his character, in his nature, in his in an expanse of everything that he is, is in existence right now. How could we possibly comprehend any of that if all of it was given to us now, presently? So what he does in mercy, the way he's created us to be, is he has stretched out a timeline. He stretched out a timeline so that he can be revealed linearly sequentially, in parallel, and we can get bits and pieces and bits and pieces and grow in the knowledge of him. That's why he loves the journey that we're on so much is because we are getting more and more of him. 
He created the time for us. And what do we reject frequently? We reject the time. Oh, God, this is taking so long. Oh, God, I've been on my knees for this blessing for so long. When are my eyes going to be healed? Well, they were healed. They are healed. But over the course of time, the seeking him is revealing more of his character and his nature to us. And we need that time to understand him. We talked about Yeshua, when he was brought before Pilate, could not declare himself king. Pilate said it, and Yeshua said, you said it. Because if he declared himself king, he would have been king right there on the spot, and all of the heavens and the earth would have aligned under his kingship immediately because of his voice. He created the heavens and the earth with his voice. He's going to create the new heavens and the new earth with his voice. If he declared the new heavens and the new earth with his voice, immediately we would have no in-between. It would exist. Follow me on this. There's no timeline between the current heavens and the earth and the new heavens and the earth. If he declared it, it would exist. So he has to put qualifiers in there for us to stretch out his voice, to stretch out his character and nature so that we can come along with him. By us coming along with him, our hearts and our souls are molded to understand more of his character and nature. So he puts qualifiers in there. Like, okay, mankind, you get dominion over the earth. I'm going to hold back my voice because if I declare my voice into the earth, like in your mountain, my mountain is going to manifest through your mountain immediately and it'll be. But because I give you dominion, now you need to seek me, my nature, your heart, your will, And then over the course of time, it will start to manifest onto the earth. So that's a qualifier is putting mankind in dominion over the earth. He puts qualifiers in his word all the time. Conditional. If you were to obey me, then this will happen. If you obey me, my word actually will be declared and made manifest on the earth. That's a qualifier. He puts qualifiers around time. So in his word, If he spoke his word about Yeshua being king, he would be king. Instead, he puts a qualifier in there. He gives Daniel the understanding that in the course of the rebuilding of the temple to to this time, that the Messiah would come as a suffering servant. So that's a qualifier in there. So he has all these qualifiers in his word to hold back his existence presently so that we can understand him over the course of time his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not his thoughts here's another qualifier satan satan has been allowed to operate 
to hold back, to delay the manifestation of his voice into the earth for our behalf. I've said this before in Bible studies. Everything is for my benefit. He loves me so much that time is for my benefit. Satan is used for my benefit as a buffer to beat me, to bring forth his grace, to hold back me from declaring God's word that Zion come now, make manifest now, because if I were to do that, like the sons of thunder, oh, Yeshua, can we just call down fire from heaven and destroy him now? Satan fights against me declaring God's word to hold back the manifestation of his word through me because I would not be in alignment with God's word to bring in the last sheep into the shepherd's flock. I would watch now without understanding. Because really, Yahuwah wants the absolute last person to participate in his glory. And in the end, what happens? What happens in the end of the book? It's the revelation of his word. So then his word manifests in full. And, of course, Yeshua is the word. So now we have the revelation of the word when it's time. So he's qualified this to stretch out a timeline for our good and for everyone else's good. This explains why some of our prayers take time. We get the benefit now. This is part of the beauty of all this. We get the benefit in the last days of the centuries of prayers that have prayed out his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not his way are not our ways. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven returns not hither, but waters the earth and makes forth the bud. Listen to this. So my word shall go forth out of out of my mouth, and it shall not return to me void. That's Isaiah 55, 12. All of those prayers have been culminated to the time of the last days for Zion that his word has been heard in prayers and it's going to blast forth onto the earth. We get the benefit of everybody's prayers before us. That's why the prophets and the angels were seeking into the things that we're living into. It's not only our prayers that are being heard for us. It's the centuries of believers that are piled on top of each other. And all these prayers are accumulated as incense before God on our behalf. And all of that is because he stretched out time to reveal how good he is to us. Because we're the generation that's going to bring forth the return of Yeshua. This is why the earth and all of creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And all of the prayers over the centuries of the earth wanting to come forth and being realigned are building up. And when it's time, when it's time, 
for the last trumpet and the last sheep comes in, it gets released and it's so. He is not slack concerning his promises, but he is patient and long-suffering. Final thought, because we're out of time. Final thought, this whole passage. I'll read verse 12, Isaiah 55, 12. What I just shared with you has to do with bringing in the unrighteous and the wicked that want to repent. The intensity of his love is in Isaiah 55, that he provided the way in Isaiah 53. I'm going to buy you back with money. Now come and buy the stuff without money. How do we buy it? We buy it with the blood of Yeshua. And we need to understand that this group of people that's coming together, it's not going to be like what we're thinking. It's the unrighteous and the wicked, of which we were. Verse 12, for you shall go out with joy when this comes forward and be led forth with peace. The mountains, we're going to finish with how we started. The mountains and the hills shall break before you into singing. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar, goes back to the curse from Eden. Thorns and briars. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And that shall be unto Yahuwah for a name. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What do we have at the end? We have the mountains and the hills rejoicing because God's people finally get it. And the time for revelation of Yeshua is now here. And his voice goes forth and the mountains and the hills of the earth are actually rejoicing because they're finally doing what they've been created to do. And that's to manifest the blessings onto the earth from the heavenly mountains and hills. Therefore, we need to speak to the mountains and the hills to bring forth the blessings of Yah and start declaring that by faith. This is the next step in this walk in Isaiah to have Zion get ready. And the trees are no longer going to be surrounded by thorns and briars and the plants and the things of the earth. We're not going to be having to weed gardens anymore because we're going to speak it into existence because the blessings will flow from the mountains and the hills. But his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So be ready for the unrighteous to come. So I'm meditating on this a little bit, uh, some more, next <laughs> couple of weeks. And I was thinking, God, do I still need the refiner's fire to, for Satan and his minions to bring that upon me? Can't I just take the refiner's fire directly from you? Why do I have to go through some of these things still from the enemy? Is my heart in a place that 
I actually would seek your face diligently every day without the enemy buffeting me. Would I walk away? And he said, yes. You actually are in a place where you love me so much that even during times of prosperity, you would still rejoice in me. However, however, maybe the enemy is coming against you because I'm doing something in them. The person that's coming, I'm using with the enemy through to you. Maybe that other person can't handle the warfare and because I want to bring that wicked person, that unrighteous person into a place of salvation, you are also assisting me in absorbing that warfare to battle the warfare on, on behalf of another. Maybe it would destroy their family and everything around them, but because I'm allowing Satan to work through them to you, you now get engaged. What if it's part of their deliverance and you're asking to for me to remove it. You're complaining for you, and you're asking me to remove the opportunity for their deliverance and their and, and their repentance. His ways are not our ways. And that's why we say his grace is sufficient for me. So rejoice when the fiery trials come against you because we're going to be used and we are being used even more so to help the wicked and the unrighteous repent by hearing his voice. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your revelation, for you are the word. We thank you that you dwell amongst us, that you dwell in us. And that we are participants and citizens of the kingdom of heaven and the city made without hands. May you rearrange our thoughts about who potentially is yours. May you break down all barriers in the natural that we would be like Samuel and not see in the natural, but see the heart of the person. May we look around us and your spirit place a burden on us to lift someone up in prayer, that we would fight for them in the spirit. Help us fight for those that are not like us, that don't think like us, that don't act like us, but they are Israel. Father, we also declare this day that the mountains around us come alive with wine, that the hills come forth and feed the cattle and the sheep all around us, that the blessings that you have stored up for us in heavenly places would be made manifest in our lives now in Yeshua's name. 
We repent from ignoring all of the tools and the weapons and creation that you have created for us on our behalf and ignoring them. So we speak to the mountains and the hills life and flow of living water. And we declare unto the mountains and the hills that the enemy has placed up against us, be removed and be cast into the sea. Be removed and cast into the sea that Zion would find her children and that she would be made manifest onto the earth. Be removed unto the sea that survivors of trafficking would find Yeshua and would connect with your remnant. Be removed, you mountains and hills that are absorbing the blessings to flow through our lives and through bride, that we would be your city on a hill. So we speak unto the mountain and the hills all around bride movement, live, flow with milk and honey, flow with the living waters. Be fertile land to make manifest the storehouses that we have stored up in heavenly places that you have filled and stretched out. So this day by faith, I pray for jobs. I pray for healing. I pray for satisfying revelation. I pray for Paul that you have a job that is being birthed through his mountain onto the earth now in Yeshua's name. May he be a praise unto you in the earth and in the heavens. And Father, we rejoice for you allowing us to see with spiritual eyes what you are doing in the earth. We know that we could not see or could not hear if it was not for your spirit. And we extend mercy to those that cannot. May we have the heart of Moses to intercede for the stiff-necked people because that's who we were. May we be filled with your spirit and filled with faith and be at peace. By the blood and the spirit of Yeshua, amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more. With 
LuckyLandSlots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.